Welcome to The Shalene Show. Shalene has helped thousands with her books, seminars, and online academies. She's the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Push, and a mother of two. Hey there, it's Shalene, and you're listening to The Shalene Show. This is a very special episode. This is an episode with a man synonymous with the word greatness, Lewis Howes. This is a story that not many know. This is the story of courage. This could be your story. This is a story of triumph, of success, and our ability to overcome, to find purpose from the most painful moments of our past. Lewis is a fellow lifestyle and success coach. He's an author, host of the top-rated School of Greatness. He's been featured in countless business, success, and entrepreneurial publications. He's a social media thought leader. He's taught thousands and thousands how to create a full-time income using LinkedIn and webinars and so many other programs, including how to create your own systems online. Now, what's really cool about Lewis is he's a former pro athlete, and he's currently on the men's USA Olympic handball team. So he's like 6'5 and has these like GQ good looks with a sweet smile. So not only does he not look like your typical social media dude, he doesn't act like one either. He's soft-spoken, low-key, just a good guy who likes to connect people. I've never once heard him brag or name drop or try to one-up people. He's just not that kind of guy. But if we're really going to tell his story, you need the real story. I don't know about you, but sometimes I hear from experts and authors and I, and I hear their stories and I'm like, who is this person really? Like, how did they get here? What drives them? What makes them special? Is there something different on the inside of these people who find greatness? Well, I know that there is. I just think that very few people have the courage and the confidence to share that story. But my dear friend Lewis agreed to open up about some pretty vulnerable stuff, stuff that I haven't heard too many other people open up and be honest about. Lifers, today, Lewis shares the gift of his very personal story of triumph with you and I. Now, just a warning, we do deal with some pretty deep topics, some stuff that might not be appropriate for little ears. So perhaps this is one you listen to solo. So take a deep breath. (sighs) All right, now relax. I promise you will be inspired by this story. Lewis Howes. Lewis Howes, it's Shalene Johnson. Shalene, how are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's always a pleasure when we get to chat. It's a great pleasure when we get to chat and it's even more fun when we get to work out together. That is true. You and your husband are great and I can't wait till I come back down to your house soon to do it. Last time we worked out, we were talking about learning a back tuck and you said, I'm going to learn it. I'm going to learn it. And I said, don't you dare. Don't you dare. Cause I want to learn it too. And I Ah, I guess I know that I, my Instagram. yes, I, I feel like you're a brother to me, a little brother, a big little brother. And I saw that and I had this, like this admiration and jealousy at the same time. I'm like, damn him. I'm like, how in the world do you get that? Gi- I have no excuse. If you can get that giant body up in the air <laughs> and around, I have no excuse. Yeah, exactly. But you it's- did make, it did inspire me. I thought if, I mean, I should be able to do this. You can do it. You're you're tiny, petite, and powerful, so you should be able to do it. Is the key having no fear? No, because no, I was afraid the whole time. I'm still afraid. It was, um, man, it was it was trusting the spotter and what he was telling me to uh, to do, and it was trusting that I was going to make it around. 
because it's really scary just tucking your knees and going back. You have to see this video. It's pretty It's pretty <laughs> awesome. It's on Lewis Howe's uh, Instagram. I will put a link to it in the show notes. You just have to see this. And how many lessons did it take for you to learn it? Not that I'm competitive or anything. That was uh, one day. That was like the, I probably did like four more attempts. That was like all the attempts that I did the whole time. And I just kind of went for it. He was like, I was like, what do I need to do? He goes, just jump up and I got you. And I was like, oh. uh, okay. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, he was like, I've done this so many times. You'll be fine. I was like, all right. <laughs> so I just kind of went for it and trusted it. Obviously I tried in a pit like a couple of times. So I jumped mm -hmm. off of like a mat into a big foam pit. And then um, I just went for it. I love people like you. It's why you're here today to talk to us about what, what it is that drives you and people like you. I have this blessing I feel in my life that I have met people who I find so inspirational because they have this word, this character trait that I think is so beautiful and it's resilience. And especially for people like yourself and just a few other really special friends I have who that back talk is like, it just speaks volumes because you have no fear. You have no fear of failure. You're like, it might work. It might not, but I'm going for it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, to speak into that really quickly, I would say that actually it's more like, you know, I still feel the fear and it's, I get, you know, I was nervous right before there was all these tumblers who were doing like double backflips and I'm like, I've never done it. So I was really, you know, insecure and nervous. Like what if I fall on my face? So there was still fear. I think the thing that I have is I don't want to feel I, I don't want to feel the fear of regret, mm. like of not trying at least. So I'm yeah. willing, I, I'm a, I'll, I allow myself to go for things because I would hate the feeling of regret. So your fear of regret is stronger than your fear of failure. Yes. Huge. Yes. Fail, failure is fine. It's more like, I just don't want to wish that I would have tried that one time. You know, I don't want to wish, you know, my dream right now, I'm going for the Olympics and I don't want to wish when I was 40 that I didn't at least go for it. Mm -hmm. If I don't make it, I'm okay. Yeah. But if I don't try for it and give everything into my power that I know I can give, and uh, if I don't do that, then I'm going to be beating myself for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to feel that way. Wow. Where do you, you know, and for those people who are just meeting Lewis for the first time, he's been a guest of my show, Build Your Tribe. Um, he's been on my Facebook wall and you've probably seen him on Instagram and just a, a truly a great, caring, genuine person who's helped me a lot in business this year, just transitioning to webinars. And I think that maybe people know you or have seen you and don't know the story behind that transition you made from being a professional athlete to mm -hmm. what you do today. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, my dream as a child, uh, just like, you know, Brett, your husband's dream was to be a professional football player, professional athlete. And I was fortunate enough to kind of achieve it. You know, I was paid to play professional football in the arena football league. I never made the ultimate dream, which was the NFL. But again, I knew that if I didn't at least go for it and go as far as I could go with it, that I would always be beating myself up and regretting it. So mm -hmm. I did go for it and then it stopped uh, with an injury. So the injury left me feeling very uncertain and very unsure of how I was going to make a name for myself or just have a great life next because I never had a backup plan. I hadn't graduated college yet. I eventually did and finished college a couple years later, but I kind of relied on my father really growing up as a source of 
you know, income, I guess, because you know, <laughs> he was, they were paying for school. Uh, you know, I went to a private boarding school when I was 13. So I lived in a boy's dorm on a campus in St. Louis, Missouri. And I was from a small town in, called Delaware, Ohio. And they, you know, I had food taken care of. I was in school. It was like being in college as a mm -hmm. teenager. Sure. Well, I was on campus and, and doing that. And in the off season in, you know, in high school in the summers, I like worked in the morning at a um, country club golf course cutting greens. And in the afternoons I would train and that's pretty much all I did. It wasn't like I had to work a lot in college summers. My dad knew my dream was to go to the NFL. So he said, you know what? how about you just come home or go wherever you need to go to train and I'll make sure you're taken care of, you know, I'll pay for food and housing or whatever. As long as you're training full time, I'll consider that your job. So I, I maybe I worked like a couple of weeks here and there, some odd jobs on the weekend, like moving things for people or something like that. But I really never had a, a job and I had an internship from school, but you know, it was pretty, pretty easy back then. Mm -hmm. So never knew how to make money maybe I've made like a thousand or 2000 bucks in my entire, you know, life, uh, before then with these like little jobs and things like that. And then I went to go play football, started making a little bit of money. It was only like 300 bucks a week in the arena football league. So it wasn't like we were getting rich. And, and then after that I was 24, I think. And I was like, what am I going to do now? I'm injured and I have no clue what I'm going to do. My dad had gotten injured the year prior, he had a severe brain injury from a car accident. And it was basically like I lost my dad that day mm. um, during this accident because he was in a coma for three months. And when he woke up, we had to teach him how to walk and talk and write and, you know, go to the bathroom. We had to change him, uh, all these things. It was like basically teaching someone how to live from, you know, a baby again. Mm -hmm. And so it was like I lost that kind of backup plan, if you will, this source of income, this source of like safety. They're like, Hey, you're going to be fine. Like I'll take care of you. He had a pretty successful company and he was like, you know, whenever you're done with your dream, if you want to come back and work with me, you're, you're, you're to be taken care of. So I kind of had that in the back of my head. And when that was ripped out from the rug for me and I didn't, you know, study in school because it was really challenging to, to learn um, at 24 years old with an injury, no degree in 2008. I really didn't know what was next. Did that affect your identity too? Because oh I, my gosh! I mean, I know that for a lot of kids, you see them struggle with that moment when it's over. Like even this year, Brock playing football, there was this senior who got hurt like maybe midway through the season, and I remember seeing him crying on the sidelines, and I thought he's not crying because he's hurt. This is this could be the last no. time he's ever played. It's so emotional. I mean, you know, with your son and with uh, with Brett and just, mm -hmm. uh, it's so emotional when you put your whole life into something and then it's over. Yeah. And and when it's over, not by your terms is even mm -hmm. harder, mm -hmm. I think. Because then you're like, you're second guessing. You're like, you're saying, well, what if I would have done this differently? Or, you know, it's just... It's really emotional. I think everyone can relate to that, even if you're not a professional athlete or didn't have an identity created from your gift. I think even you see moms struggle this with this when their kids become their lives and then suddenly their kids are gone and they've lost their identity. So what did you do? Yeah, our, our relationships and things like that. Yeah. You know, luckily my it was like a hard time for our, our entire family because mm -hmm. we were really struggling because it was kind of like our dad. We weren't sure if he was going to live or die. And 
he was really kept the family together. He was like this larger than life, so wise and powerful and inspiring human. And then it kind of just, we didn't know what to do mm -hmm. because he was alive, but he wasn't, it was like, we, we had to take care of him mm -hmm. and he couldn't work. And it was just, yeah, it was just a real challenge. Cause it was like, what do we do now? And I don't have my mentor and my father to support me. And um, luckily, my we bonded together, my my siblings and I. And uh, my sister said I can come crash on her couch for a while. And for the next year and a half, I started. For the first few months, I was pretty depressed, and it was just like you know, in denial. It was like I'm going to come back. I'm going to get out of this cast and come back stronger than ever and play again. But uh, there was another plan because it took six months for the cast to come off, and then mm -hmm. another six months till I could just like kind of move it without pain. And, you know, I lost uh, all my strength and gained like 30 pounds and all this other stuff. So after a year and a half, my sister was like, it's probably time that you get a job because <laughs> I wasn't paying for anything. I was just eating her food and living, mm -hmm. living there. But during this time, I spent a lot of energy learning. I knew that I had to start developing new skills because I really didn't have a skill that anyone could pay me for. I, mm. I played football, so maybe I could coach. That was like the skill that I could do, but I didn't want to be a coach because I knew I wanted to be financially free. I just had no clue how to make any money. So I was terrified and um, I just knew I needed to learn new skills. Mm -hmm. I found a number of mentors who I was just inspired by who were making money and living a life that was inspiring. And I said, how did you do it? How are you doing it? What were the steps you took? What do you think I should do? If you were in my position, what would you do? And literally everything they said, I just took a lot of action on like I was playing a sport again. It was mm. like, okay, I'm learning a new sport. It's called the game of life and business and relationships. Here are my coaches. Here are the practice lesson plans. And now it's time for me to take a lot of action. Practice, 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 prepare, watch film, and um, and then get ready for game times, which was, you know, big opportunities that came to me. So I've looked at life as like a sport ever since. Well, I think most people hearing your story would assume, you know, or, or wonder if it's because you're just such a confident guy. Like, have you always been this way? Oh, and they can't imagine themselves doing these things, even if they learn them, were to learn them from the best coaches. For the average person, they don't have the confidence to go out and, and take action and to do these things. Have you always been a confident person? I would say the opposite of that. I was, uh, as a, you know, my, when I was a kid, I never had any friends. It was always, I was the youngest of four. Why do you think? You know, I don't know. I mean, I was like, if I really think about it, I was taller than everyone. I was really ugly and goofy looking <laughs> and, and had a lot of like acne. And I was, you know, just not intelligent in school. Hmm. So obviously there's like a lot of kids in school who are really smart. And I was always in the bottom of the class. I couldn't read out loud in school. Uh, you know, I just really struggled with homework. So when you're constantly green, being graded on things and you're constantly being last and the mm -hmm. worst mm -hmm. at everything you do, oh. it just was, uh, it always made me feel like, I don't know, I wasn't intelligent enough. I wasn't smart enough. And I got made fun of a lot. Would you purposely not connect with people? Would you try to be invisible? No, no, no. I try. I mean, I, I did the opposite. I was oh. like trying to be friends with people, but I was almost like they were pushing me away or they'd mm. just make fun of me type of thing. And so I was uh, probably obnoxious, overly obnoxious to my siblings and always trying to get attention because I never felt like I had any. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so that was then. And then in, 
when I was eight, my brother got sentenced to to six to twenty five years in prison for selling drugs to an under, undercover cop. When he was uh, that's your older brother, my older brother, and he was eighteen. Or he 19. was eighteen, and you were how old? I was eight. So this is yeah. your hero. Yeah, my hero. And um, so when he went to prison, you know, there was no one else I'd ever heard of that went to prison in, you know, our small town in Delaware, Ohio. Uh, you just heard about it like in the movies. So yeah. for this happening in like a middle-class white suburban neighborhood, oh my it was God. like a shock to the semi-friends that I did have, the, like neighborhood kids. So I couldn't go ahead to their houses anymore. They couldn't come over to my place because their parents wouldn't let them because they thought I was a bad kid too or something. Did you feel that? Like, did you think I'm bad or my, like what, what did you feel about yourself then? I, I didn't, feel I just felt like um I was stupid I just felt like I didn't have the intelligence and that since no one was friends with me I just felt really insecure wow uh I, I had zero confidence and was like lashing out a lot I was like a brat because I was trying to get attention and trying to like be in people's faces just to get anyone to know that I was alive and I remember actually telling my um uh, the principal whenever I get in trouble in school like in elementary school for some reason, I remember saying this, like, I wish I were dead right now. Oh. I wish I were dead. Like, I would say that over and over, like, it was nothing. Oh. And they, you know, obviously, there was, like, a really serious thing for them to, like, hear that for kids to say that. But for me, I was like... Did they do anything? I mean, if I heard a child say that... I, I don't remember them doing anything. I think maybe they called my parents or something, and wow. they probably talked to me. But I just remember never feeling like anyone gave me the attention that I really wanted. Like I knew my parents loved me. I knew my siblings loved me. Like my dad would tuck me in bed every night before sleep. And you know, he'd be there for me in that way. But as a kid, I just, I never felt like anyone dropped on their knees and just connected mm. with me oh, and God. said, you know, God. what's going on? You know, can we, let's play together. Let's do what you want to do. You know, whatever a kid needs, I just didn't feel like I got it. And, and, and it translated like in middle school, uh, you know, I was terrified to speak to girls. Like no girls would talk to me because I was like the tall, ugly kid. And um, I remember when I was 16, I, I went away to this like boarding school in high school, but I was still kind of scared to talk to girls. But when I came back for the summer, when I was 16. I was like, I am sick and tired of having zero confidence with girls. And obviously you're a teenager. You want to, you know, talk to girls. I, uh, I made a game for myself. I said every day in, in this summer when I was 16, I'm going to... Whenever I'm out, I'm going to go find the girl that I'm attracted to. And if it scares me to talk to her, I'm going to go talk to her and ask for her number. <laughs> and then I did this every single day for the summer. And I'll tell you what, just like doing what I was afraid of and just giving myself a little game or exercise to like move into was so powerful for me to see that it's not that hard and it's not that scary. And if someone just blows me off, it's not that big a deal. Like I was so afraid of rejection that... I allowed myself to just experience rejection over and over and learn how to just be playful and, and let it go. And uh, those were some great experiences. Like wow. whenever I felt the fear, I was just like, what can I do to overcome this? Because it sucks having it. And for so many people, that's it. It's just your first simple experiment, you know, to, to figure out like, oh, I'm just going to do this. And I know it's going to be a little bit painful, but I'll survive it. And it just keeps getting easier. Exactly. I was actually coaching someone uh, the other day who... It's part of one of my online programs. And she, I was like, what's your dream? She was like, I would love to have, you know, $3,000 a month coming in from six clients. And I was like, okay, what are you going to do about it? And she's like, well, I think I need to create some more content online. I think I need to get like a cert certification. 
uh, so I can have more confidence mm. and so that people will hire me. And I go, I don't have a certification. I don't have this. I was <laughs> like, I just went out and just asked people to give me money. <laughs> and why don't you just go call someone who already, you've already worked with and say, hey, I'm going to put together this program. I'm going to be coaching you every month on your health, your fitness, and here's the price. And she was like, there's no way I could do that. I'd be terrified if they, they said no. And I was like, listen, I do webinars and nine out of 10 people say no, and I'm still a millionaire. Right. Nine out of 10 people say no, That's and so I still awesome. make seven figures a year. So they're going to say no. And you're going to get rejected and you got to learn how to find the people that are going to say yes and work with them. Do you think that that comes from the adversity that you faced and just figuring out that you can get over that? Like, how do you think your childhood has shaped who you are today? Uh, it's, it's, it's everything because, well, I would say that my childhood has shaped me in a way that it gave me a lot of... I went through a lot of pain in my own inner world. Obviously, you know, other people in the world have probably experienced a lot of different types of pain, but emotionally I was experiencing a lot of pain every day. Mm. And what shaped me was those moments when I said, I'm sick and tired of feeling this pain. Mm. And what are the things that I can do to get to the next level? And those were the moments that shaped me when it was like, okay, enough is enough of feeling worthless. Enough is enough of feeling like I can't can't read enough is enough. Like I'm broke and I have no more money. Um, or I'm the last picked person on the, the sports teams in elementary school. Like enough was enough. Like each one of those moments, I was sick and tired of feeling the pain and not having what I wanted. And so I just committed to creating whatever I wanted next and doing whatever it took to make it happen. Like, wow. You um, have shared with me that you're comfortable with me asking you about this because you shared it on your own podcast. And if, mm. if, if I can, I'd love to link to that show because it's, I think it's one of your best shows ever. Um, the one where you, you shared a really traumatic childhood experience that happened when you were six. Yeah. It was actually when I was five. Oh, five. And yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting after, you know, my parents, my dad, uh, you know, worked constantly in his business. My mom was working to try to just feed us when we were younger. They didn't have a lot of money when we were younger. Mm -hmm. And so I would go to a babysitter every day after uh, kindergarten and first grade mm -hmm. and right across like the school. And one day there was uh, the babysitter's son Mm -hmm. was was there. And I never actually remember seeing the son any other time. But he was there and he was, his room was open and he was playing Nintendo in mm -hmm. his room. And for me at the time, this is back in, I don't know, 1988 or something. Or like, that's just when Nintendo came out and it was yeah, like a big, big deal. deal. Yeah. And I was like, hey, can I play Nintendo? It was like Super Mario Brothers or something like that. <laughs> and... um he said, yeah, but you've got to do something for me first. Mm. And, and he, he said, let's, he like took me in the bathroom and, when uh, did, when, do you remember feeling scared in that moment or not? Did you yet not know? You know, it, it's, it's, I can't remember every aspect of it, but sure. I remember feeling like, okay, cool. I just want to play Nintendo. Mm. And he was like, I remember being so nonchalant for him. Kind of like, um, so that wouldn't spark fear in you. Yeah, he wasn't like, like necessarily weird. I, like I didn't sense that mm -hmm. until like we were in the bathroom and the door was shut and locked, mm. and 
And, uh, and then there was uh, an experience of sexual abuse. And mm. I remember in that moment when these things were happening, I remember thinking something is off, but the end result for me as a five-year-old was like, I just want to play Nintendo. And if, you know, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do and to get what I want or something. Yeah. I don't even know. Yeah. And, um, but it was definitely. Did you, when that happened, did, did you tell anyone? I didn't tell anyone. I mean, it was, it was like, I knew later, like a few years later, like, holy crap, I can't believe this actually happened. And it was almost like it was a, a dream or something mm -hmm. that I, I tried to like, let go of, or it like kept reoccurring in my mind. So you would say like, it didn't happen. It didn't happen or what? Yeah. I mean, I was just kind of like, did it happen or did, you know, I just was like, talk to myself about the brain it. brain is pretty powerful, isn't it? Yeah. I was kind of like, did I try to like block it or, but it would always keep coming up. And I, you know, even now I can vividly remember the, the bathroom, the way it looks. I can remember, I can't remember the way his face looks. So yeah. I can't remember that, but I remember, um, I remember like the smell, the taste, like everything. It was, um, it was just not, a, I mean, it wasn't a fun experience. That's for no. sure. This is that thing then. Oh, I just want to wrap my arms around you and tell you I love you. And I'm so sorry that happened. Thank you. I just, I think it's so courageous, mm. especially for a man. And I know this is more prevalent than what people are willing to share. But it's stories like this that will help so many other people. And to see what you've done with your life and how much, how much more lovable and real you become when you're vulnerable enough to say, this happened to me as a child and it wasn't my fault. And um, it, it doesn't define me, but I've been able to turn that into something that's changed a lot of other people's lives. And, and to think then that, you know, you're five and you're thinking, gosh, you know, everything's unsafe. The whole world is unsafe. And you have all these other things, all these other messages in your head and, and to have to deal with all that. And then your hero, which who I'm assuming felt like a protector, yeah. um, goes away to prison. And you're how old when that happens? Eight. Wow. I mean, hi. <laughs> Talk <sighs> about how, how do you find yourself? Like, how do you become the person that you are today? Whew, some pretty heavy stuff. I know that was heavy, but my friend, you have your own story. All of us have experienced our own heartache and defeat and challenge. What does it take to go from feeling like you're worthless and stupid and nobody cares about you to being someone like Lewis, the poster child for greatness? Someone with that kind of confidence and courage to be able to open up and share the most personal details and the belief that they're going to help others. What does it take to get there? What does it take not just to survive, but to conquer? I mean, we're not talking about a guy who's gotten past his past. He's turned his tragedies into a way to help other people. It's fueled his passion and his purpose. And Lewis's story is your story. You are on the path to greatness. Anyone can survive and be good. You don't want to just be good. You want to be great. So find out what that takes because the real story, the hero story is in part two. Please do me a favor and download it now, especially 
if there was a part of this interview when we got into that story, if you really felt upset and it it triggered some things in yourself, I want you to hear part two. There's so much inspiration and motivation. You're going to hear that it's possible for you too. But don't be afraid to ask for help. You've got somebody in your life who loves you, who cares about you. And when you open up about something like this, something that right now you're carrying around as your own secret, it just makes you sick inside. It does. And the first time you open up and share that with someone, someone who has the confidence and the knowledge to be able to say, it wasn't your fault, I still love you, and can encourage you to get the help that you need, you are going to feel the weight of the world lifted from your shoulders. I've met hundreds of individuals who've shared that exact same story. I've never met someone, never in my life, met somebody who finally let go of their secret and regretted it. Get the help that you need. Get the help that you deserve. Listen to part two. Lifers, I love you.